That, I don't know if you heard it, was the sound of the most anticipated beer in all of Ireland. Yeah, that sounded like a little sort of either a ring pull or a, or a little beer cap. It was a beer off. cap and it was mm. delicious. Well, not the beer cap. Oh, the beer TJ, TJ. And I'm sitting here with a glass of water, honestly. <laughs> I've been good all day. I've been in work and I've been good all day. And this is my kicking back. So I said, Why have you been you. in work? It's a bank holiday. I don't work in a bank. You're being facetious today. <laughs> a little bit. Right, should we get on with the, the regular stuff? Yeah, let's jump straight into the, the same stuff we talk about every single week. The writing, the listening, the watching, the reading and the drinking. I will start us off. I am pretty similar to where where we were last week. I'm I'm now at Steinbeck stage with my uh, Blackwing Centenary pencil. Mm-hmm. Um, the more I use this pencil, the more I'm enjoying it. It's lovely. Um, it, it's it all matches, you know that you've got the green eraser with the green imprint. Yeah. Um. Um. I'm using uh one of those sort of point protectors that Blackwing do. So I've got a gold point protector that matches Ooh. the ferrule. Yeah. The point and, guard um, is it called? Yeah, that I think they I think they're called point guards. Yes. Just much more dramatic than point protector, isn't it? <laughs> um. And I'm writing in a Palomino Flex. Uh, which is a notebook that we we got direct from the guys in the states. Um, it's actually branded California Republic Stationery. Mm. Um, I thought that was an older brand. Black black covered book with um, sort of orange highlights on it, um, and it's really cool. It's a really good book actually. Um, I'm really enjoying this. Um, I think we I think we might sell quite a few of these at Nero's Notes. That's pocket notebook size or. Sorry, pocket notebook size, or what kind of scale are we talking? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's US pocket size. Um, this one's in plain paper, which is my my new go to. Um, I think I, I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago. I I loathed plain paper until I used it. <laughs> yeah, um, in theory. And I, yeah, I now I now find it really liberating to use plain paper. So, um, yeah, it's it's a really nice notebook. It takes takes ink pretty well, um, as you might expect. It's brilliant with pencils. Um, and yeah, it, it could certainly it will be in my rotation. And if I were forced to sort of cut down my notebook usage, I think this one would stay in because it's uh, it's really sturdy. It's, it's very well built. Um, and uh, yeah, it's got a few little extras. It's got the little flap at the back if you want to tuck something in. Yeah. Um, the orange highlight is it's almost like it's taped around the spine. So it gives it that little bit more sort of strength than you might find in, in a, a notebook. And uh, I've taken a leaf out of uh, our American cousin's book and started putting stickers uh, on because I've got a load of stickers because I tend to buy American things. So I have quite a few things by 12 South. Have you come across them? I've heard um, of it, yeah. They they do sort of accessories for Macs and iPads yes. and stuff. So I had one of those lying around, and I had a little sort of notebook motif from Dapper Notes, which is another American uh, brand that we carry, uh, and it's quite nice. It sort of it makes the notebook very individual. I quite like that. I might might do a bit more of that. I think. Hmm, cool. I'll what about see if you? I can what are you using? Dig out any stickers for you? Um, at the uh, minute, I think I've got a few of yours in fairness. <laughs> <laughs> so at the minute, I'm writing with, or at least in the office today, I was writing with a vintage Eberhard Faber Marigold. 240 number two pencil which i got a number of them probably two years ago uh old stock 
sharpen them up. The erasers have obviously atrophied and um, fossilized, but the pencil itself is very, very nice. And I was writing mostly today on printed PowerPoints and Post-its, which is the least exciting thing you can write on, I think. I, I was quite excited by the show notes, though, because in the show notes, you're writing on posits. Yeah, I'm positing that I'm writing on post-its. <laughs> I was thinking, what's a posit? Is he being clever again? <laughs> nope, I am not. The opposite, in fact. <laughs> oh, and so, now you've highlighted tits. Yeah. yeah there goes our PG rating. <laughs> I'll just blur it out and I'll not know what you said. <laughs> and what about TV? Are you watching anything? Uh, not so much TV, uh, in terms of time-wise, I haven't really had a lot of time to watch it, but I did manage to get to the cinema the other night and see Solo, the new Star Wars movie, and without oh. giving too much away, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a fantastic film, despite its, uh, box office slump that it appears to be going through. Oh, was it not doing well at the box office? I think the budget was something like 200 million, and it pulled 83 in its opening weekend, which is... You know, they'll, they'll probably still break even, but it's also normally they hit 200 to 400. Not as good as they were expecting, I think. But despite that, it was a superb film, in my opinion. And I really, really enjoyed it. It's it's come sort of quite fast on the heels of, um, of Rogue One, hasn't it? Yeah, it kind of... There was a couple of Star Wars films that have come out recently. I think Solo was the least popularized of all of them. Um... I'm not sure why that is. Maybe it was tactical on their part. You know, people smarter than I am working at this, but certainly it, it kind of came out of nowhere uh, quite soon after several others. So maybe that's got something to do with it. But uh, well, there I, was um, there was a real problem with it, wasn't there? They um, Ron Howard was brought in yeah halfway yeah, yeah. through the production to to direct it. Honestly, you can't tell. I didn't know that until after the fact. And it surprised me because it's very cohesive. It's very well put together. And the, the story really flowed for me. I did not like Rogue One that much. I thought it was fine. Uh, there were some interesting characters, some interesting plots. But for the most part, I thought it was just okay. The same with The Last Jedi. It was fine. Um, I really liked The Force Awakens. And I really liked this. And uh, uh, we're going to have one of those generational conversations again. I can feel it coming. But... <laughs> Um, when did you see, you know, what I would call Star Wars or the, the Return of the Jedi, for example? When did you see Four, those? five, six. I saw those when I was probably eight, nine. Um, okay. So they had been obviously out for decades at that point. Um, I remember seeing the the prequel trilogy when I was a kid. So whenever that came out, late early mm-hmm. two thousand, I guess it would have been late nineteen nineties, early two thousand. I remember those coming out, but I'd seen all the Star Wars films before then. So there was a time where I'd seen Star Wars in its complete three-film arc. And then Mm -hmm. all the films came out, so it wasn't just... I'm not one of these kids that thinks the prequels is the first one. Okay, all right. That's that's what I was getting to, was trying to see if... Because you do hear, or I do hear, or read, possibly on social media, people sort of confusing the timeline which is you know easy to do i mean the the films were all brought out in the wrong order i suppose (laughs) um but uh yeah i mean i i remember going to star wars the original movie on its first release um which again ages me a little bit um but (laughs) i was taken with my buddy by his mum and i remember it was uh, it was such a huge day for us we were so excited 
and um, did it live up to the hype? And yeah, I mean the hype of of the movie, even back then when hype was a word that I think had barely been invented. Um, but the, the sort of first weekend, the world just went bananas when this movie came out. I think we saw it on the second or the third weekend, and um, we were just transfixed. And I've been a sort of closet Star Wars fan ever since. Probably not recently, actually. I haven't. I haven't seen Rogue One. Um, I Did haven't you see seen any Solo, the... and I haven't been sort of desperately, urgently wanting to do so. I'll, I'll probably do that sort of criminal thing and watch them on a small screen somewhere. But yeah, I would suggest if you liked the original trilogy, uh, watch Solo because it's it predates the original trilogy, like Rogue One. But um, there's a lot of head nodding to the original trilogy and to the the, the wider canon which i really enjoy and uh, i do mm-hmm. like me a good chronological mix-up so it's quite fun to to jump back and forth and realize you know we've seen something happen to you in this film but now we're going back in you know, 30 years before that it's quite nice to, to get that jumping around sure i mean i did listen to um kermode and mayo's podcast when they discussed uh, the movie um, and they're, they're both big fans. They both really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and it's, um, I suppose, different people are looking for different things from these movies now. They're, they're, there are some people that are so, as you say, into the canon and have an understanding of how the force works or doesn't. And, um, and you hear these sort of huge debates rage about whether action A was in keeping with character B. And, yeah. You know. Wow, um, I, I'm not sure I'm into that, but I, I I do find myself watching one of those movies and just completely believing in it immediately. You know, the the entire sort of uh, rational judgment goes out the window, and I'm there, <laughs> and I yeah. know, suddenly I know what parsecs are, and you know, all sorts going on. Fantastic. Anyway, sorry, we got sidetracked there. So that was a good movie. Um, well, I'm I'm pretty boring in comparison. To that. I've been been catching up with The Crown. Um, this Netflix discovery for which I'm blaming you and of course sending you the bill. Um, <laughs> in fact, just before we started recording, um, Margaret said to me, you're not going to be long on the recording, are you? I said, well, probably not just an hour or so. Why? Because I want to watch another crown. Um, because <laughs> last night she was catching up on ones that I missed. So we're hoping that tonight we might even watch it together. Exciting. <gasps> Excellent. What about uh, your listening? You've been doing any listening? Yeah, little bits and pieces on the train. Uh, the hot, uncomfortable train journey in my suit today. Um, I'm still listening to NADPOD, which is the Not Another D&D podcast. Uh, loving it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, in the nice, sunny weather, um, I took the opportunity to play some, some normal music and just kind of chill out a little bit. So I uh, listened to one of my favorite bands, uh, Angels and Airwaves. Not sure if you've ever heard of them. I haven't. I'm. I'm. I'm actually. As we speak, you might even get a pencil sound writing that down. Yeah. Uh. Very. Very different kind of band. Uh, I think it's Tom DeLonge, who was one of the singers in Blink One Eighty Two. Um. Okay. And it's it's a weird kind of music. It's very uh, ephemeral and kind of trancey kind of music. Not not dance music or electric music. It's it's incredibly difficult for me to describe it. But they released a film called Love, which is like a sci-fi, weird, quite cerebral film. Um, 
and that film was scored with a two-part album that the Angels and Airways released called Love Part 1 and 2. Um, fantastic music, really, really relaxing and I don't know, something about that kind of music just completely switches off my brain and lets me just drift away, which is very, very pleasant after a long day of work. So I've been listening to a little bit of them, but uh, I can't put into words what it's like. Just go and listen to it. And if you like it, that's fantastic. Listen to lots. If you don't like it, it's all like that. Don't listen anymore. Well, it's just as I was writing that down, I thought we have got to do an episode on music because I haven't got a clue what music you like. Uh Again, esoteric, uh, widely varying, uh, and I think it would be quite interesting to compare because it runs yeah, the gamut. No, it, we, we might sort of have to force each other to listen to each other's favourite <laughs> album or one of, uh, you know, an album that we choose for each other. That might be Yeah, fun. that would be really cool. I know you like the Foo Fighters, so at least your taste is not compromised. <laughs> yeah, no. No, if it's, if it's got a couple of loud guitars in it, there's a reasonable chance that I'm going to like it, but... um. Yeah, no, that'd be quite good fun because again, it's um, that that whole age thing. Um, I mean, Margaret's uh, five years older than me, which is really annoying because she looks about ten years younger than me. But um, <laughs> just just that small difference means that music that <clears throat> meant a lot to her uh, was so uncool for me because I was that five years later. Yeah. Um, so. You know, she'll she'll talk about the Jackson Five with sort of great affection, and I'll sort of turn my nose up. Um, in fact, she'll talk about the disco era with some affection, and I'll <laughs> turn my nose up. Um, and yeah, if you take bands that have lasted a really long time, um, I had this conversation with a friend the other day as we we drove to to a golf weekend. Um, a band that's been around for a long time, like, I don't know, U two for example, um, means something entirely different to people of five years difference in age. Yeah. Because when I think of you two, I probably think of the war album of October, the, the really early stuff. Um, and then I've, I've, you know, know some people who talk to me about Achtung Baby. And, the, you know, those are just almost two completely different bands. I mean, the personnel hadn't changed, but what, what they were saying and, and, what they were about had changed. Yeah. So yeah, that might be quite good fun to explore that. I have taken a note, TJ. I, shall, I think I shall come back to that. Either favorite um, album or we, we go mm -hmm. full 21st century and we curate a Spotify playlist of 21 songs each and then we share those. Okay. Well, I, I'm an Apple Music man, but hey, okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Okay. Well, you can curate um, an Apple playlist and then I'll convert that into something people actually listen to. And and to be honest, you'll also have to just just pick an album because I'll put it. I'll get it on vinyl and put it on my record deck and listen to it like that. <laughs> yes, I'm one of those. Okay, music um, episode. Let's table that one. That was nice fun. Sure. I, I was working out the other day. There are some albums that I have bought six times <laughs> in different formats. Yeah. Um, and at least twice on vinyl. Anyway. Twice. Um, so you have one well, and one here in the office. No, no, because I bought the original release and then oh, threw it away um, once cassettes and CDs and uh, everything had come through. Tape media. Um, uh, yeah, and then got it all electronic and then went out and bought a new record deck and started <laughs> buying back all these albums. In some cases, e the same pressings. 
wow. um, and in others, you know, re-releases. It's amazing. If you buy a, a re-released vinyl now, a new vinyl, um, it's about four times as thick as the old ones. Wow. Um, which I assume is all about quality and um, keeping it robust and everything. But it's amazing. They're like they're like dinner plates, really heavy, thick things. <laughs> um, whereas when they were first coming out, when I was first buying them in the 80s, they were extraordinarily fragile. Anyway, that, that's another aside. I haven't been listening to very much music at all, although I did have a little bit of a Foo Fighters afternoon on Friday um, when um, I... The neighbours uh, at the office uh, had to come and knock on the door and tell me to turn the music down. It <laughs> um, always amuses me. Um, here I am, approaching 50, and I'm still getting told off for loud music. So that made me feel good. <laughs> Doing it right. Um, but other than that, I've been, I've been very good on podcasts. I am all over my podcasts. Um, because I've got now a double Audible subscription, I'm trying to read one fiction and one non-fiction book uh, That's at a time. That's a good idea. And so I have got, at the moment, and I'm not making this up, blogging, building your $100,000 plus business. Um, I, I would give it a plug, but I can't remember who, who wrote it or who's reading it. Um, <laughs> it's one of those it's one of those e-books that, that may have taken him an hour or two to put together, I think. Um, and... Uh, it's written by somebody with a good understanding of Google search um, because uh, how many times can you get blogging into a sentence yeah. um, or profitable blogging? Uh, so I'm guessing that these were originally sort of blog posts that have now been uh, put together into an ebook. Um, but I'm interested in blogging. It's something that I think is coming back. Um, I've got a bit of an interest in, in the indie web. So, you know, self-hosted stuff rather than relying on our our friends, Mr. Zuckerberg et al. Our dear corporate um, overlords. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it's interesting to hear what people are doing and, and how they do uh, the various stages of, sort of, you know, building audience, writing relevant stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, but I don't think it's going to occupy my time for long, to be honest. Um, and then, now you're going to be impressed here, Mr. Producer Cosgrove. This morning, I managed to record the play that I'm performing in, I recorded all the parts myself um, using the software that you very kindly pointed me at mm -hmm. uh, and managed to upload it to my podcast player. Uh, so I now have the performance. So I, well, when I say performance, it's with me doing lots of funny voices. Um, <laughs> so I'm hoping that as I walk to work and back, I can sort of subconsciously get those lines to go in because there Excellent. are an awful lot of them. Yeah, that's good. There's probably umpteen copyright reasons, but it would be fun to get a clip of that. <laughs> well, um, I, I dare say I can record a clip of me doing a couple of the lines. There's, there's a couple of funny ones, but it is an English farce. Um, so there's quite a lot of um, titty jokes um, <laughs> and double entendre and little nuances. Um uh she'd worked jolly hard um so i gave her a big one <clears throat> for example <laughs> uh that sort of thing which i have to say makes me titter but it, yeah it's a very fast moving play um the thing about english fast is it tends to be really snappy short lines uh which is fine apart from the fact that those are the ones i find the hardest to learn 
Yeah, the the quick you, fire. Yeah, if you give me a big soliloquy, I'm fine. Um, I will, you know, I can use memory hooks and I can use repetition. And I can wander around and and talk to the dog and 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 get that to stick. But when it's yes, no, maybe yes, no, no, yeah, yeah, what, bye, yeah, who, that stuff. Well, um, I think each performance it will be different. <laughs> <laughs> a different string of single letter words. Exactly, it'd be one word fired out at random. Oh, hey, reading. I'm not doing any reading. Um, I Well, I, I'm reading some newspapers and some magazines, but I'm not reading any books at the moment, which is something I'd like to fix because I've got more and more building up on the bookshelf. Okay. What about cool. you? Uh, at the minute, uh, the only thing I'm reading is the new issue of Analog, the science fiction uh, magazine that I do so enjoy. Mm-hmm. So I picked up the new issue about a week ago. Really enjoying it. I uh, only got through one story there on Saturday. Uh, Meg was doing a fun run. Um, so I was uh, parked in a car on the corner, just hanging out, and uh, read the first story, which was called The Last Biker Gang, uh, which was excellent. Kind of like a futuristic look at uh, these old guys who kind of had been abandoned by the, the world that they're in, and their grandkids are all grown up, and their spouses have left them because they've got these rejuvenation treatments, and it's kind of Modern medicine means that we live this long, but we don't really have anything to do. So they start a biker gang and start terrorizing people just to have something to do during the day. Um, very, very good. Very, very prescient and uh, extremely well written. I'll put it in the show notes. I can't remember the author, but I'll put the author in the show notes. Really, really good. And just reinforces that view that that analog magazine is top quality stuff. I'm really, really enjoying it. Oh, fantastic. I, I might have to look one out here in good old Blighty. Yeah, it's one of those ones I'd love to write for at some time. I've dabbled with sci-fi short stories before, um, never published them, and it's something I'd love to do just for the sake of doing it. And um, if that was kind of like an end goal, perhaps that would give me some sort of target to reach for. But even reading it is is really, really nice. It's kind of, there's a lot of stuff in it that, revolves around the work that I do and the people that I'm with, you know, topics that I'm not unfamiliar with. So it's it's really, really fun to read well-crafted stories about scientifically relevant and, and intellectually interesting topics. But talking of uh, sci-fi short stories, um, have you seen what our friend Harry C. Marks has been up to? I saw the pictures, but I haven't delved any deeper than that. Is this something with Baron Fig? He, yeah, he's written um, a sci-fi short story uh, for Baron Fig. It goes along with their uh, their new edition pen, um, who's uh, Mysterium League, Mysterium, um, which is uh, well, it's it's the the Baron Fig Squire pen. Have you have you seen one of those before? Uh, yes, I think I've seen the, is it the arrow or the, no, that's the pencils. The the one that went with the, the key, the lock and key. Yeah, yeah, the brass one is lock and key. Well, this is it's essentially a sort of um, metallic orange version of that. Mm. Um, and yeah, Harry's written a cool little story to, to accompany it. Uh, and... Uh, this this is uh, this is a dig at you, Mister Cosgrove. He recently appeared on Eureka, which is the Baron Fig uh, podcast, 
they've beaten us to it, TJ. Yeah. How could we allow this to happen? Should have capitalized. Although he's been on several podcasts before, so we're not we're not the well, first. He does get around a bit. You, you've got to watch. He's a handsome brute. He's a very talented probably, man. You know, you gotta you gotta give I, him his due. He's gonna be on all the shows because all the shows want him. That's it. He's he's in demand, and of course, you know they don't have quite the the time zone issues that we have. So. <laughs> no, I will endeavor I to get him on the show. Time. I think it would be a, yeah. a marvelous first guest. I think so. I think I think it's going to have to be a weekend recording. That sounds and, about right. Uh, you and I can sit with a cold beer while he has his cornflakes or something. <laughs> I will. Uh, I'm making a note. I will go and pester him. Uh, but yeah, it's. A, I mean, I haven't seen the um, pens yet. Um, as as it was Harry, I had to go and order some. I had I had sworn I wasn't going to buy any more Baron Fig for a while um, because the customs duties are killing me. Yes, that is another hint, Joey. Joey, let me distribute Baron Fig in Europe. Thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, now I've ordered I've ordered uh, a few, so um, you might expect one to come your way, Mister Cosgrove. Mm. I need to put um, a little package together for you, actually, because I have a few bits and pieces kicking around with your name on it. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. I mean, this 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 whole gifting thing is very good. I only love you for your gifts. You're a great <laughs> gift giver. You know. That. I uh, I ordered yeah not three days ago. Uh, 20 Apsara long point sharpeners for the princely sum of four pounds delivered. Oh, I'll tell you what, you're 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 pushing it financially, aren't you? <laughs> they are lovely. I find, have you ever seen these before? The Apsara, it's an Indian brand. Mm, uh, Apsara pencils I've come across, but yeah, not sharpeners. Yeah. These typically come, the little sharpeners typically come with the pencils, but you can order them separately. I bought them on, I think it was eBay. Um, 20 randomly colored green, red, yellow, black, uh, long point sharpeners for, I think it was three ninety nine free postage and packaging. Um, in India, they would sell them for five rupees, which is about 5p or something. It's it's negligible. Um, mm-hmm. So they're, they're making profit on selling these to me, but also it's 20 sharpeners for four pounds. And they're normally about two pounds, 250 in the shops here for a normal single sharpener. So sure, it's, I mean. it's reasonable enough, but they are marvellous. Really, really long point and um nice sharp smooth uh finish so i've been gifting them uh wholesale basically um to <laughs> anyone that will stop for five seconds to hear about it so i'll give you a couple of those too sounds fantastic you can never have too many sharpeners in my well in fairness i may have too many sharpeners but most of that is stock in yeah. my defense um cool so where are we now oh Drinking the fun well, bit. Um, what's new? I'm drinking everything. Uh, actually, I today um, Margaret and I walked across to uh, one of our neighbouring villages. It was a beautiful hot day, so took the dog for a long stroll to a very good pub called the Hawk, uh, which is, um, I think it's maybe the sort of thing that every American thinks of when they think of an English country pub. So um, <laughs> yeah. it's it's got little tables outside. There's a little river with some wooden benches next to it. Um, and I was drinking some real ale, so that's a warm beer for, for all of our American listeners. Um, by warm, I mean room temperature, uh, called Tipster, which is by um, a brewery called Upham. Uh, and it's a very, very nice, hoppy sort of beer. Lovely. Uh, very so, good. Yeah, I had a few pints of that. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, a bite to eat, and we, we strolled back. Lovely. It's a good way to do it. Actually, the... the- 
long walks paired with drinking and eating. That's basically every European holiday we've ever had is copious amounts of walking, followed by equally copious amounts of beer, followed by more walking. Yeah, it it kind of feels a bit balanced, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Calories in one end, calories out the other. Wait, no, TJ, there are there are no calories uh, taken in on a bank holiday. They don't count. <laughs> just zero out on that day. Yeah, absolutely. They just don't count. Well, I've been drinking the uh, aforementioned delightful Red Stripe, which is a Jamaican beer in a little like 330ml round bottle, uh, which is adorable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I bought a six pack of those the other day and I've been enjoying them. So that was my little treat. And I opened that literally as the podcast started. That was me opening it. And I'm now two thirds of the way through. And I may have another, but at the moment I'm just savoring the flavor. Yeah, but we may have to have a break while we both run to the fridge. Um, <laughs> and then also, you put this, and I remember this, Tim Hortons was opening in Belfast. Tim Hortons is open, has opened on Friday there in Belfast, which is a big deal for me. Probably not for anyone else, but for me it's a big deal. I lived and worked in Canada, in Toronto, for two and a bit months, several years ago. Uh, and I loved it. It's a wonderful country. The people are incredible. But uh, I always, always missed the coffee from Tim Hortons, which is their, basically their Starbucks, right? It's Tim Horton was a, an ice hockey player. He started this chain of coffee and donut restaurants in the late 60s. And it's kind of the staple for Canadian baked goods and caffeinated beverages. Have you ever had it? Yeah. I haven't. I, I The first I heard of it was as we walked around Belfast and you pointed it out to me. Yeah, it's... There are a couple in England, I think, further south. So you might be in luck. There's presumably one in England, or London, sorry. Um, Scotland has one or two. And this is the first one in Ireland, perhaps? There may be one down south. As far as I know, this is the first one in Northern Ireland anyway. But um, it's a big deal for me. And it opened on Friday, and I left work a little bit early and went down and stood in a very short queue and got a French vanilla coffee and some Timbits, which is the, the middle of a donut. It's a little donut balls. And it was glorious. We sat outside in the sunshine and enjoyed those. So my life is complete. My favorite coffee shop has arrived in time. Yeah, very good. I'm just... Uh... I'm just looking at it here, and yeah, there's a, a master franchise has been uh, granted for the UK mm-hmm. uh, in 2016. So yeah, I imagine there'll be quite a few of them around now. There, I know for a fact, I think it was Eric on the Erasable Facebook group, he had mentioned that there's one near him in Scotland. And I know that there's a couple in England. Where they are, I don't know. But given the sort of proclivity for London to be more focused, I would say south so i'm sure there's not one too far away uh, well at the moment uh the the website is desperate to show me ones in uh london canada so uh, perhaps I'll, <laughs> it's not terribly i shall have a look in my own time when i find the right website yeah but it's, it's, it's good. uh now that you mentioned canada clearly you you had quite an impact there because uh, I think in the last episode, we mentioned to people that we were going to, uh, inspired by the pen addict, we were going to open up a Slack channel. Yes, we did. Um, where listeners could come and uh, come and talk to us or shout at us or do whatever one does in a Slack channel. 
Um, and a bit of everything, well, I think. almost instantly, a Canadian, Justin Twyford, uh, sent me an email saying, yeah, I'm in. So I sent him one back saying, yeah, you're in. <laughs> uh, so hopefully he's in. Although given my technical prowess or lack of it, it's entirely possible that I've invited him to some group about microblogging or something. Who knows? <laughs> uh, oh, no, hang on. Look, live, I can actually read that Justin has joined the, okay. the channel and says, thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. Let me here see if go. I can Look at that. quickly scoot on over to Slack here. This is all live. Yeah. I'm leaving this in. Uh, ah, this is all fantastic. This is like grown-up stuff. 1857chat.chat.slack. Oh, there we go. And Justin is from Vancouver. Did you ever get over to Vancouver? I did not. Um, I was solely uh, in Toronto and then in Mississauga, which is slightly east of there. Okay. And what were you doing there? Uh, it was my placement for university. So I was there uh, for just over two months and I spent uh, time in Richmond Hill. There's a lovely little community just north of Toronto. And I worked in the local TV studio uh, doing live local television. So I worked the cameras. I operated the desk, did some live mixing, did subtitles once, which was fun. Um, lots of bits and pieces, did some hockey matches with um, like the live sports truck and you set all the cameras up and do like live feed from hockey games. That was really good fun. So a little bit of everything, but I spent about two months doing that. And then at the end, I had about two or three weeks to tour around and do a little bit of exploring. And I have some distant relatives on my mum's side who lived in uh, Mississauga. And uh, I went and visited them just a little bit further around the Great Lakes. So it's lovely, really, really lovely time in my life. Really fond memories of it. And um, yeah, I have lots of photos on my Instagram from those days. And I kind of look back every now and again and go, oh, I'd love to go back. We're kind of tentatively planning a North American gambit at some stage to, to go mm -hmm. and visit all the bits and pieces that we've seen a long time ago and not seen since. So I keep looking at tickets to New York and, and flights to California. Yeah, it's Fantastic. I've never, I've never been to Canada, but I do have an uncle, um, who I believe is in somewhere spectacularly Canadian named, um, a, a <laughs> yellow knife or something. Um, yeah, that sounds vaguely Canadian. Yeah, that's, um, it's, <laughs> so we just got a message from Justin who said, uh, I'm going to listen for the ding of a sent Slack message and my small chance at infamy. No, no, we've, we've pushed you, Justin. Uh, any second, I'm going to give out your home address and your phone number. Um, no, no, obviously, I'm not going to do that. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely with you on the North American thing. The, the thing that scares me about it is so huge. There's so many places you'd want to go, or I'd want to go. Yeah, I mean, you guess you're going to have to just, and this is completely off topic, but we'll we'll run it. It's fine. Um, I guess you kind of have to look at the broad strokes because there's so many things to do that. You know, not even Americans are going to see the majority of their country. Not even Canadians are going to see the majority of their country in their lifetimes. So it's sure. silly for us to imagine that we could. But, you know, there's the, the broad strokes, the things that are, you know, amazing and must see and you can go and have a look at. So I'm going to start there. And then if I really like it, just keep going back until I see enough to satisfy that kind of little voice in the back of my head that says, go buy international flights. 
Indeed. So um, if you guys, uh, anybody does want to join the channel, just drop an email to me either at uh, stuart at nerosnotes.co.uk or stuart at stuartlennon.com or grab me on Twitter at Stu Lennon or at Nero's Notes and uh, I'll send you an invite and you can come on in and, well, say interesting things to us. Or non-interesting things. That's mostly what we say. Well, exactly. I'm, I'm hoping that we might get some, some quality into the channel and uh, <laughs> you yeah. and I can slowly recede. <laughs> yeah, just slowly uh, augment. Uh, and then I've just renamed just... it. Oh, God, I tell you, I'm a slack, slack wizard. Right. Okay. So we've kind of rambled on a bit there, haven't we? So we better yeah. get on to topic. What is today's topic, TJ? Today's topic is Jobby Job or Jobby Jobs. And oh, it's all about. It's going to be a big, big hit with the Scots <laughs> talking about the Jobby Job. It's all about work and employment and how that fits into a 21st century world because it's very different than a, a 19th century world in our namesake. You know, in 1857. It would be a very different working week because it would be like seven days and you'd work in a factory and probably die at 40. But it's a very different beast than it is now. And I think it's it's worth discussing. Okay. So. I remember from um, our little trip around the Titanic exhibition, uh, when we were on the the ride, which was sort of taking you a little bit of social history, yeah, um, and about what it was like to work in the shipyard. Uh, it was it was noticeable to me that, and this also harks back to a, a Billy Connolly sketch. But um, the the sort of school gates would open, and the shipyard gates would open, and you would flow from the school into the shipyard. <laughs> yeah, um, one holding pen to another. Exactly, and if you were you know born into the correct type of family in Belfast at that time. This was all kind of mapped out for you. I mean, it was it was a conveyor belt. You, you went to school because you kind of had to. Um, and then immediately you went to the shipyards because that was the best job to have in Belfast and it paid well. And um, as you and I saw, it would uh, probably scare the living what's-its out of any modern uh, employee. But um, it, was, it was a great job to have. I suppose it was job security. It was a job for life. I mean, these guys, um, you know, very often... They worked for for one company from the 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 time they started at I don't know was it fourteen years old maybe fifteen years old um, until they retired at whatever retirement age was back then I don't know sixteen maybe normally 15? like forty six when an I beam falls on you yeah well, yeah I guess there must have been quite a lot of that as well but <laughs> um, it was you know it was a an an entirely different world of course I mean that's an obvious thing to say but. I think it was the way that um, people looked at employment was entirely different. Absolutely. And, and so much of it is technology as well. You know, if you're looking at the Titanic era, that's 1910, 1911, 1912, basically. You know, you have Marconi grams. You don't really have lots of international travel, lots of international communication, at least at the speed we're used to. Uh, things move a lot slower, and as a result, businesses move slower, and as a result, you can't have the same kind of mass networking and connection that we have now. You know, you can't sit and run your empire from a bedroom because you need to speak to people. You can't just email them. You can't just, you know, ask your assistant in uh, 
Malaysia or India to sort that out for you. You know, there's a lot of differences in the way we would use technology. You know, it would be a lot more hands-on, I think, back then. And certainly technology has absolved us somewhat of the the need to be physically present to do most of our work. And it completely changes the game. Whenever you don't have to be there to get stuff done, then all of a sudden you start questioning the very principles of work, which I think are so ingrained at this point that challenging them can be a challenge. Well, for sure. I mean, I suppose the the biggest uh, change and, and shift, uh, as you say, is is that whole uh, concept of workplace. Yeah. Of you know a physical requirement. Um, obviously, if you're banging rivets into the Titanic, that would have been difficult to do from home. I suspect. <laughs> um, I'm teleworking today, boss. Don't worry. <laughs> Although. My my uh, previous business partner would probably have fitted in very well in 1857 because he was hugely suspicious, and we're talking five years ago, um, of the concept of anyone working from home. And actually, it's it's not that I still know lots of people who instantly smirk at the thought of, of or, or the, hear the phrase, oh, I'm working from home. That inevitably is the first line of a joke in England. Yeah. Where people will people will go, oh, oh I bet you are in the garden, are you? And okay, I, I get the joke, but I'm also sitting there thinking, well, you know, why wouldn't you be? When I work from home, uh, A, there's a couple of hours of commute that is gone and that time can be used for something else. Now, okay, it might be used for, I don't know, going for a run or whatever, but it might actually also be used for work. And there can be no doubt, if you go to London or any of the world's great cities and look at the orbital roundabouts, uh, the, sorry, the orbital motorways that are jam-packed with highly paid, highly professional people sitting, getting frustrated in their cars. <laughs> Weird. To understand that this whole let's all go to one workplace so that we can ignore each other and send each other Slack messages is is not a terribly intelligent way of going around creating anything. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's daft. And it's only daft because of the technology we have. You know, it wasn't daft 100 years ago because, like you say, there wasn't really an alternative. But now we have one. And is it silly to ignore that, to kind of maintain this weird status quo that we've all kind of surreptitiously agreed is fine even though in reality it's kind of a bit crap mm -hmm. i mean do you have a a working from home option yeah i can my working hours are extremely flexible in terms of i essentially am my department so i can set my own time uh, as long as i don't miss meetings and i'm not absent when people need me for things for the most part scheduling and time and where i am when i'm working is largely left up to me and i think an element of that is trust where you know i don't abuse that because i like being in the office i like being surrounded by the, the intelligent people i get to work with i enjoy our workspace so i tend to be in the office quite frequently and i'm sure that if i started abusing it and coming in once every six weeks they may have something to say but 
you know, I get a long, long leash to say, you know, you do what you need to do to get your work done. And if we can help, we'll help. And that, that works really nicely for me. So I'll probably be working this weekend and potentially next weekend as well for a project that we're doing that needs an installation in the building over those two weekends. So I'm sure that I'll be in and around my office two weekends running. And so I'll probably take a work at home day on the Monday or maybe the Tuesday as well, just to kind of give myself a, not, not give myself a weekend because I will be working, but like you say, cut down that commute time, cut away some of the extraneous stuff that I have to do when I go into the office, you know, just focus on maybe the, the core five or six things I need to get done. And then maybe the rest of the day I can get my bits and pieces that I missed over the weekend sorted out. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you've hit the nail on the head and it's that sort of modern, that modern <laughs> newfangled way um, of working is depends very much upon trust and it depends very much upon, um, how can I put this, competent management. Yeah. Um, and I say that because... Um, Certainly, when I first began managing people in in any way, it was uh, largely I was making it up, uh, and that's something that I haven't really stopped doing. But <laughs> I had no real understanding of what management meant, yeah, um, other than having been managed both well and poorly. And if you can get to a point in a business or any endeavor, any collective endeavor, where you understand the output required from a team or an individual, then remote working becomes possible. If you don't understand that, and I would, I would posit, there we go, I've used the word again, posit, post it. that or posters that um, many, many managers don't actually have an understanding of what output they're looking for from an individual or a team, then remote working is very threatening because you as a manager instantly fear that the employee or colleague or whatever the correct term is these days is not doing anything. Is just kicking back and having a good time because you you don't have an objective measure. Yeah. Whereas if you know that you know person A has got to produce A, B, and C on project X, Y, and Z, and you have a rolling understanding of that that's shared between you and she, for the sake of argument, then you know frankly she probably doesn't need to speak to you. You probably don't need to speak to her, apart from for updates for a little bit of mutual support perhaps a bit of project communication but if the if the output is being produced to the required standard in the required time frame fantastic you don't have to to put any real effort management effort into managing that person they're effectively managing themselves yeah and i think that kind of emancipation is very useful and helpful for people because i certainly get a lot of satisfaction and being able to choose within you know various tolerances when I go home when I do things what days are for what and that gives me a lot of freedom in my schedule and my my day-to-day which in turn gives me a lot of job satisfaction which in turn makes me want to do better because I respect my employer and I enjoy my job and they let me do the work I want to do in the way I want to do it 
And so that motivates me to keep doing it because I like this job and I want to keep doing it because it's good. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, the more freedom you have, the more you respect that freedom. Certainly in my case anyway, the fact that I could take two weeks off and work from home means that I probably won't because I know that I don't need it. You know, I respect the freedom that I have and I don't want to abuse it to the point where it's taken away. Oh, uh, yeah. And I mean, there, there are plenty of pitfalls. I mean, the, uh, the the first one, I think, that you and I discussed way back when, when we were talking about um, the sort of uh, entrepreneurialism is that uh, the downside of working from home is that you're working well, probably from about an hour before you wake up because your brain is already clicking into gear. Yeah. And and you're, you know, grabbing grabbing a piece of toast while you're catching up with something on the internet or checking your email. Um you you may be um you may be in your underpants, who knows? Um <laughs> you, you may you may not have a great sort of morning routine because you, you suddenly find yourself working and you can be working until late at night and it can become very destructive. And I speak from, from personal experience because you, you are always on duty. Yeah. You're, you don't, you don't get a break and the change of, um, you know, geography can act as a very, very good sort of signal to your brain is that, okay, I'm in the worky place now. I'm going to do the worky stuff. Yeah. And, Oh, I'm in the homey place. I'm going to do the homey stuff. Um, and, that's a risk. Um, I know I've had several people work for me in the past because I'm actually, these days, I'm, I'm quite a laid back sort of manager. There are some people that have worked for me in the past who'll tell you that that wasn't always the case. But um, I, I do manage by, by output. I do manage by performance. I manage by exception. So um, with Claire, for example, at, at Nero's Notes, we, we have a chat about you know, what I'd like to happen and what she would like to happen. And I say, okay, you know, let's, let's speak again in a couple of weeks. Give me a shout if you need me. Now, fine. We sit a couple of feet away from each other and, and we're constantly chatting. You know, we've got two dogs in the office, one of which is a tiny little puppy. So yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we're having a great time. Um, but in terms of worky things, I don't sort of push her or, or ask her things. I expect her to, to raise her hand if she needs help. Um, and Claire's a, you know, she's a really smart cookie and a great self-starter and she's got no issue with that. But I've had people in the past who found it really difficult to work for me because I've said, okay, yeah, all right, so you're going to go and get that done. You happy you know what you're doing? Yes, great. And they've walked away not happy that they know what they're doing, not sure how to, to broach it with me that they're not happy. And, you know, eventually come to me and say, look, can you just tell me what to do? And they want to be managed in a sort of, I suppose you'd call it an old-fashioned way and where I would, you know, sit, go and do this, come back, show it to me, I'll tell you what's wrong with it. You go and then do it again. But, which is, you know, that's fine. If, if that gets the job done, that gets the job done. But it is very demanding on the time of the manager. Yeah. Um, because if you're doing that to, you know, for the sake of argument, three or four people, then you are already, a lot of your time and effort is going purely on that and that's where you get to the point of saying wow delegating this task is costing me hours yeah i don't need to be the gatekeeper here i can give you the keys and you can let yourself in yeah yeah and and that works but i think 
getting to the place where you can effectively do that is a lot harder than many people anticipate, which is, is probably why, well, it's definitely why, there are still lots of businesses that rely on very highly paid, intelligent people sitting around in cars getting frustrated every morning. Yeah. I think as well there's a kind of institutionalized bias towards a certain system. And the bigger the corporation, the bigger the company, the bigger the group of people, the harder it is to go against that because it's like, well, that's not how we do things. Like, I know, but that's not a good reason for me not to do it. You know, the very fact that this is not the way we do it is a reason for me to try something different, not the opposite. And so, you know, you're in a large corporation where no one works from home and you go, hey, I'd love to work from home. I think I'll get more done. I can show you what I'm working on. If you like it, that's great. If you don't, I'll come back. That's fine. But I think it would be a good thing to try. And they go, hmm, yeah, I can see the points you're raising, but also no, because we don't do that. That's not a good mm. refute of the point. That's just saying no for no no reason. And that's the kind of attitude I really dislike because you're ignoring results and you're ignoring facts in the face of, well, that's the way we've always done it. So that's the way we're always going to do it regardless of input yeah but i mean i think also um I'll, I'll put on my sort of jobby job manager hat now and say one of the things that we used to face was um okay we were a business and we had um, i don't know what do we have 30 employees for the sake of argument um and we were growing quite quickly from the employee's point of view then i guess we were you know jobby job uh from James and I's point of view as, as the owners and the directors and the managers of that business. Um, this was kind of a passion project and we were, you know, waking up at seven in the morning and going to bed at midnight and thinking of nothing else between those times. Yeah. Um, and we would sort of sit down and, and sort of having had a request, uh, as you sort of surmise there, and go, well, okay, but if we say to TJ, okay, look, TJ, yeah, you know, for your role and what you're doing, that makes a lot of sense. And um, we see where you're coming from. And that's cool. Crack on. Then Jane is going to come in and say, well, hang on. If TJ can work at home, then, then why can't I work at home? And the issue wasn't really about whether you could trust TJ or you could trust Jane. The question was, well, how do we manage that? Actually, what? do I want out of TJ or out of Jane or out mm. of that department? Because so certainly I, I was laughing with a, an old, uh, an old colleague of mine just the other night. Um, I was the junior partner uh, in that partnership. James had more shares than me. And if you'd ever meet James, then I, I don't think James would ever make a great number two. Um, he, he, quite, quite, uh, was it a type personality? I think is what they call it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it didn't matter who you were. If you worked for James, then you were a resource and you were available. Um, and he would think nothing of barking out, um, that he needed some tea or, um, he needed a flight booked and there would be me. And um, my job title at the time was group operations director or God for short. And, <laughs> <laughs> the only other person left in the office was the group finance manager, um, who was obviously a pretty competent, intelligent uh, woman looking after you know, big sums of money. And it would be one of us would then go and make the tea, which, 
you know, I, I'm fairly certain it doesn't work like that in the Foreign Office. But um, <laughs> a lot of what we hoped for and expected for from our team, we didn't know until we needed it. And, and that's where we, I mean, he was very resistant to the idea of working from home anyway. He's a deeply suspicious character. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I was sort of forced to agree with him that actually, yes, we could create homeworking roles. And we did, actually. But they had to be done uh, sort of quite carefully um, with quite a lot of forethought. So um, Margaret used to, to work for the business doing some, uh, getting into the weeds here, but doing some compliance monitoring, which is uh, not the most exciting work in the world, but it is work that requires some concentration um, and a little bit of automation and you know using IT. Um, and so that was actually quite simple to say, okay, you know, this is a, a sort of role that we can put a parameter around and we can look at outputs. And, you know, if Margaret wants to do that, at home or in the office, we don't care. Um, as long as the weekly sort of target is met, then great. Um, and so we were able to create certain roles like that. And there were other roles where actually, you know, part of the role of that person was to be there because yeah. we need we need to brainstorm. We need to come up with something. Something has happened. We've got to deal with it. We've got to deal with it now. Um, and just learning how to manage that, I think, is probably well no definitely i believe is where the world of business still struggles there are all sorts of elements about trust or lack of trust and importance you know it makes you feel important to have a big office building full of minions who are at your command <laughs> but mostly what it's about is that there are lots of people in management roles who i don't think have a real understanding of of what they're doing yeah, or why I think they're doing it. There's always going to be that mid-management duplication of role and kind of you're not really doing anything that I couldn't either automate or delegate. And this kind of role exists because someone forgot to get rid of it. And we've all come across those people before. I think and it's nothing against the people that do those jobs, but the role itself is kind of like a frustrating extra step you know, I'm managing the people that you manage. And well, if I had smart enough systems, I wouldn't need to pay you. And when people get really uppity and, and very entrenched in their views in that kind of role, that's where I see a lot of problems with, you know, hostile workplaces and unpleasant environments because people are going, well, no, I am the manager of this small corner of this realm. And so everything must abide by my rules because they're my rules. And you kind of go, well, you know, yes, okay, I, I agree with that concept, but also, no, you're entirely redundant, and we could just probably get along fine without it. You know, it's kind of like the, the Northern Ireland government at the minute. We don't have one, and nothing's burnt down. And everybody's going, why are we paying these people? You know, we're st the buses are still going, late as they are, um, but they were always late, so it's no real net loss. Nothing's burnt down. Everyone seems to be fine. And we've been without a government for a year. Maybe we don't need them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the the flip side of that, though, is if you look at how that feels um, as that manager or as that employee, um, 
you know, for all of the the terrible things that used to go on in the shipyards in in Belfast and in Glasgow, it was a job for life, and it was very well paid, yeah. and it brought with it an automatic membership of the social club. You'd all go to the football together on a Saturday. There was a great sense of community. All you know, rose tinted glasses stuff. I know, but there was a, a great deal of security, and there was a great deal of your identity was tied to your work, and now. That's, if not entirely gone, it's mostly gone. I'd say almost entirely, yeah. I think a lot of people don't have respect for their job or their employer. And certainly a lot of younger people that I know that came out of university, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of like, yeah, it's fine. That's what I do now. It's fine. I'm looking at other things, but, you know, it's a job. I I like the people. You know, I've done that. There's jobs where I thought people are fantastic. By and large, the people you work with tend to be net good, certainly in my experience. The people mm-hmm. I've worked with have been, by and large, very lovely, very enjoyable, and very good crack. You know, some jobs are worse than others. I worked in a chip shop for a year. That was pretty bad. Wasn't very fun, very greasy, very messy, very smelly. You got free chips, and the people seem to be nice, but, you know, on the on the whole, if I weighed everything up, I'm like, that's not a great job. Pay wasn't great either. So there'll always be bad jobs, but I think there's less of a uh, kind of affinity for the, the role that you're in. And you touched on this in the show notes, like people change jobs so often now and they change within the industry and then they maybe retrain and, and change their entire you know industry or profile completely. So rather than going to the shipyards and getting a job for life or starting in a company and working your way up to, you know, senior VP or something, there's a lot more like, oh, this is me for the next two years and then I'm looking at a promotion and I'm looking to, to get headhunted for somewhere else. And that's a very real thing now. And so there's not a lot of... Uh, I, I struggle to use the word loyalty because I think that's a strange word to apply to a, a business, which is not a thing. It's not a person. It's just a collection of people with similar ideas. But certainly that kind of loyalty I guess was instilled in in days gone by and like you say I think is now primarily gone because people don't stay long enough to develop it yeah I mean I think it's it's partly that but it's also partly that um you know roles that people get really good at and you know that they do really well and just as you say they disappear they get automated out of existence Um, and not only do people now sort of look for I suppose sort of you know um, a progression that has some sort of logic to it some sort of hierarchical um, path but people now you know go from one completely different area to another and they go off, and I, I think, again, we mentioned this before, I think it's Sweden, where they're looking at building the infrastructure within the sort of education system to retrain your average person seven times during their career. So they might work on a, uh, a Volvo assembly line, which is essentially overseeing a, a robot, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, uh, and then they might also be a teacher. They might be a health worker. Uh, they might be a copywriter. They might do all of these things during their career. And in many ways, that sounds fabulous. It sounds like a 
really re- rewarding way to to sort of explore your own skill sets um to see what it is you can do and what it is that you like because you know as you go through life you do discover different things that you had no idea that you liked or that you had any aptitude for i think also as you get older you get better at different things you know you get more patient you get more thoughtful maybe you have kids and you realize that i really like teaching i really like educating or you know maybe i really hate kids and i really don't want to educate you know i think the the older you get the more you realize what you actually like and your, your kind of tastes and passions change and so I can see that, you know, there's an appealing element there. You're like, oh, maybe I'll start here, but it's not, you know, there's the, there's the flip side of this. Where it's like, I'm not stuck here for life. This is not the end goal. I'm doing it now and it's fine. And I, I like bits of it or I like most of it, but it's not the be all end all. I think that's quite positive. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, um, it's a very liberating uh, thought process, assuming that, the the numbers can be made to work yeah um you know it's it's fine to say actually you know being a barista uh, in this really cool hip coffee bar is brilliant and i really love it and i really enjoy it um and that's great if it provides enough for you to to pay whatever bills it is that you're faced with and to live whatever life it is you want to live yeah. um and the, you know the the reality remains that um, a lot of those jobs are are not as well paid as uh, you know as running Microsoft or um, you know being a senior executive in some financial company somewhere. Yeah. So while that whole reward structure is built the way it is, which is you know, ostensibly is all around value, then it becomes very difficult to marry those two things: the um, fulfillment of the employee which ultimately is fulfillment of the person and we're all people um versus the benefit to the economy and therefore reward that's associated and you know let's let's not go down the what what have the bank has ever done for us conversation but um that that whole area i think is is now under challenge and uh, you know, a couple of guys in Silicon Valley have, have been pushing quite hard this whole sort of universal credit. Yeah, um, which is an interesting give idea. everybody some money um, so that they can go and be a barista if they want to be a barista uh, and still have enough money to do whatever it is that they need to do. Um, and I'll keep selling them advertising through my platform. Um, I'm not sure that's the answer. And I think we, again, we touched on that before, the whole sort of dignity of work and things. But... Um, it is changing and it is challenging. And I think for for anyone, the jobby job, um, which hopefully can be combined with some sort of passion or, or motivation, is not going to be what it used to be. It's not going to be something that's very static. The pace of technology means that jobs are being changed, being removed, being upgraded yeah all the time and as humans we have to be extremely flexible and reactive to that yeah i mean this I is a transition importantly, sorry yeah no. most importantly we need to learn not to be threatened by it yeah 100 percent. i mean this is a transitionary time period i think you know we're getting to the stage now where all those sci-fi technologies that we 
watched in films and TV shows, they're not sci-fi. They're just science. You know, AI is becoming a thing. Deep learning is a thing. Walking, talking robots. I would suggest five or six years out before they're really, really quite scary and impressive in equal measures. Sure. The The universe isn't slowing down. Human growth and expansion and creativity and industry isn't slowing down. And so burying our heads in the sand and saying, well, it was better 50 years ago, I'd rather we just did that, is not going to help. It's changing whether we want it to or not. By the very nature of the numbers, there's too many people for the current system to keep working, and there's more and more people every day. So it has to change. By the very nature of the equation, it has to change. And so, like you say, if we're not flexible, then we break because we can't stop it. We can maybe alter the course a little bit and maybe choose what we want a little more. And certainly maybe that's something we should exercise our will on a little more strongly. But for the most part, we've set our path based on our species evolving desires and wants and needs and, and kind of motivations. And now we kind of have to just stick the landing because it's it's going that way whether we want it to or not. Mm-hmm. And I think scary it's exciting. stuff. Yeah, you say scary, I say exciting. I I like living in interesting times. Sometimes those interesting times are scary times, but for the most part, it's fun to think that I might see the first person to land on Mars. It's fun to think that I might see an AI that could actually hold a conversation and not infuriate you. It's interesting to think that, you know, we could theoretically solve big, big problems and and put an end to things like hunger and cancer and things like that with technology and ideas that go further than, than we're currently capable of. And that's exciting to me. And if the, the cost of that is that we can't work the same job for 60 years and then die, you know, that's something I'm willing to sacrifice. I love my job. I enjoy working it. I will continue doing it until I stop enjoying it at which stage I will then readdress what I want to do. And I think that's probably the best way to do it. If it sustains you and it keeps you happy and fulfills you, then do it. And if it doesn't, look at something different. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I I agree wholeheartedly with all of that sentiment. Um, And just perhaps sort of tag on to it that you and I are both um, quite privileged and quite fortunate to be in that position. Yeah, hundred percent. That, that, that um, you know, uh, we don't live anywhere war torn. Um, and right now, at least I, I'd have to say that despite the world's best efforts, um, things seem to be getting probably better on the, the whole employment and jobby job front. Um, you know, for, for some people it's, it's maybe not that easy. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be, I don't want them to feel that we're in any way being patronizing. I don't think we're trying to be. No, um, I mean, obviously we, everything I say comes from a weird accented middle-class white guy living in Ireland. It, you know, I can't disengage from that. So my opinion is always going to be tainted by that, but I'm speaking in general terms. And I think certainly that, you know, there's a lot of problems that the world faces, but there's a, a negative bias in media. And so we consistently see the bad stories because those are the ones that are interesting. 
for um, sure yeah. yeah i think they they sell more papers or... yeah they sell more papers they sell more clicks on screens but i mm-hmm. think for the most part the world is trending towards good trending towards better um i certainly hope that and i think maybe if we focus on the greater good focus on the the most impact that you can have with your actions you know the most positive thing you can do um that might be the way forward instead of trying to you know firefighting maybe isn't the best solution maybe we should find something that stops the fires happening in the first place well i that's always the target isn't it well listen i think we had uh we were going to do a segment on uh little passion projects but i, I think that might be an episode on its own tj i think so jobby job two electric jobby Google. job two the return <laughs> the return of the jobby job I think so. I think it's worth coming back to because, again, they're so intrinsically linked. The, the passion projects, the, the hustles, they're so linked with modern society. You know, I think it's it's obviously been happening for hundreds and hundreds of years, but I think nowadays it's it's more of a focus, and I think we could probably put a whole episode to it. Yeah, okay. Well, let's do that then. So you got a nice, chunky, longer episode for you? There you are. That's a big boy one, although there's a bit of work... In in post, as I believe they say. Yeah, that's fine. I Fix it in post, TJ. Fix it in post. <laughs> Shall we call it a day? I think we should call it a day. I've been Stuart Lennon. And I've been TJ Cosgrove. Remember to make the past, the present, in the future. This was 1857.